So now what? Save the world? Anyone could be one of them. Controller. Trust no one. Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of K. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. What up, everybody? We have got an exciting treat for you tonight. Yeah, our first ghostwritten book. Yes, we are finally in the ghostwritten's, starting with number 25's The Extreme. Now, I don't understand the publishing industry that much, but I thought this book was pretty spooky. It, it was an extreme endeavor for the team, and I believe I that's mean, why the uh, code word here for the title was chosen. Yeah, I mean, it's very extreme. I mean, it was written by a ghost. I mean, it's exciting stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the book was ghost written. That's what that means, right? Well, I mean... Is this a good bit? Are people laughing? It's, it's, never mind that. I've left you completely speechless. <laughs> I'm flabbergasted <laughs> at, at what you think goes on in the writing industry. <laughs> spooky writing (laughs) uh needless to say i had never read this book before i discovered as i uh power read through this one i think before we started you know buying our collection and and finishing our collection off for the first time i had never even seen the cover of this book before i'd always seen seen it uh every time i you know looked at the series in the uh, library or whatever um and it always caught my attention because i thought wow the polar bear book like that's one that I, I really want to read because it seems like the polar bear morph in general would just own, you know, that seems like one of the most useful battle morphs they could ever <laughs> acquire. Well, I, I, I knew there had to be a book where they turned into a polar bear at some point because uh, reading the time jumping Megamorphs book later on, uh, which I had read, but hadn't read this book, uh, Cassie turns into a polar bear in that book. So I knew at some point in the series they had turned into polar bears. Oh, really? Uh, Good. They do use it in the future then. That's excellent. (laughs) That was one of my biggest questions after finishing this book was like, I could never really remember any significant moments from the the rest of the series where they're really utilizing this polar bear morph. I mean, at least Cassie does to scare some uh, racist collegiate kids. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, if you think about how much uh, havoc a group of like, five or six of these polar bears could wreck in like downtown Los Angeles, you know, um, surprised they just don't use it more. I'm surprised like Rachel didn't switch from grizzly to polar bear for her main battle morph. Exactly. Although she was pretty taken aback at how everyone was quick to confirm the polar bears superiority over the grizzly bear. (laughs) Oh yeah. She's a grizzly fanboy. Exactly. That's exactly what she is. She's a fangirl, a fanzina, if you will. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, so uh, we're going to start out this episode a little different. We're not going to jump straight into the book. Uh, I think we want to give a shout out to some of our listeners who have written in or left reviews uh, on iTunes. Um, we don't do this often enough, and I'd, I'd really like to uh, get them on the show and, and talk about them for a minute. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, a lot of these people that have been emailing us and, and talking to us online uh, have been with the show for well since the beginning really i mean since 2014 when we started doing this and uh real quick shout out i guess to uh us as we record this uh the date is april 6th um certainly by the time that this is posted online the date will have come and gone but happy birthday to us i just want to say it (laughs) april 8th 
uh, my birthday and April 9th, Mitch's birthday. So it's uh, it's another year here at Thoughtspeak. This wild well, we ride. Won't be cel- while we won't be celebrating together, um, I know that at some point when it nears midnight on April 8th, I'll be looking up at the moon and know that you'll be looking up at the same moon right as I'm looking at the moon. <laughs> oh, boy. How, no- how nostalgic. You know, I-, I will say, though, it's it's exciting to think that we've got people that have been listening to us for a couple years now, and yeah. they, are, they are literally watching our lives kind of unfold and change as we go on here, and uh, as we continue to review this, this wonderful series. Um, and- I, I actually was getting a little nostalgic. Uh, on the way home today, I, I popped on the uh, first episode, just to kind of see how things have changed, uh, you know, <laughs> immensely. Yeah, and I make a joke about you having a fiance and me not having a fiance in that first episode. Oh my gosh! And uh, I've gotten married. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the time that we started this podcast, I, I think it's safe for me to announce at this point that my wife and I are expecting our first child now. Come this uh, this fall here, and so little Marco, <laughs> you, little Marco Olson, yeah. Um, I wonder if my wife will go for that. Although we're hoping for a girl, so maybe it'll be Rachel or Cassie Olson. I mean, after this book, I, or I Melissa. Be... Yeah, Melissa. She <laughs> never gets. Her I'm due. really pushing for Melissa Chapman Olson. Will be my firstborn daughter. Chapman Melissa Olson. <laughs> Point is, we we've got some people we want to talk about, um, and you've got some emails to read. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, I want to start off. Uh, actually, my emails are from uh, pretty new listeners. It seems like. Um, I was surprised by this, but it seems like we've gotten a lot of people in the last just month, month and a half, and I, I'm not sure if we were shared on some blog or, or whatnot, but we, we definitely got some new listeners out of it. So uh, I want to read uh, excerpts from this email. This is from Ian Worth, and he says, Hey, Mitchell and Coleman, wow, just found this podcast a couple weeks ago and have now listened to every episode. Just want to thank you guys for all you do in creating this podcast. It is truly awesome to listen to you guys talk about this amazing book series that I was obsessed with at a time. Uh, he goes on to mention some top moments, his favorite moments from the NMR series, and that includes like pushing the Kendrona rage generator out of the building, uh, Eric the Cheat turning off his programming and saving the Animorphs, uh, the big elf Angor reveal of uh, being the father of Tobias, and the entire David trilogy, which I think we can all uh, agree with that. <laughs> totally. Um, he does mention one other thing I want to bring up. Uh, this is something interesting. So... He, uh, when he was younger and he was reading the series and, and he started watching the TV show, like as it aired, um, he remembers it being such a big deal that they couldn't reveal their true names, where they lived, etc. And he specifically remembers on the Animorphs TV show that in one of the final scenes, it showed a photograph of Rachel and Melissa in cheerleading uniforms. In the background of the shot, it showed the actual town name Meadowbrook. Uh, really? When I saw that, I freaked out. I thought to myself, oh, man, I need to find this town. I need to warn them. What if the Yerks saw this episode? Would they make me an Animorph? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? Honestly, I'm sure that was just a production mistake on the show's part, and they were just like, F it. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, show's and, over uh, anyway. I actually read something earlier online. Somebody had said that uh, at some point, Kay Applegate and uh, uh, Michael Grant confirmed that the, the series was supposed to take place in Santa Barbara. Like, that's the official town. Yeah, there's been some buzz going on uh, online about this, uh, the revelation that their hometown, as we all knew, was somewhere on the Californian coast. Interesting. Anyway, What's the next email? Uh, next email I have is from Lad Alexander, and he says, Hey, Mitchell and Coleman, hope all is well. Uh, my name is Albert. Okay, so Lad is not his name. That is just what <laughs> pops up on the email. 
Uh, very confusing, name, lad. Very, very. Uh, my name is Albert, and let me start by saying that I've known peripherally that of your podcast for a while now, and I just started actually listening to the episodes, and they are seriously awesome. I've been kicking myself for days now for not getting to them earlier, so that I could have emailed with notes about each episode. I have so many, and I'm honestly envious that I never had that idea for this podcast, or that I could have at least participated in them as they go. Uh, Animorphs was hands down the most influential literature to me as a child. I grew with those books, and they helped me get through countless rough times. I was instantly obsessed with the storyline, and I honestly still am. The very idea of the series getting produced in any way simultaneously thrills me to death and scares the crap out of me because the series is so special and has such an enormous potential for an amazing on-screen adaption. Uh, he goes on to say that he's in the animation camp, just like the entire rest of the fan base oh, and Michael Grant. wiggity, wiggity, what up, Coleman? And they're all wrong, including <laughs> the co-creator of the series. <laughs> sure. Um, but he also just, you know, goes on to say that he enjoys podcasts, he wants us to keep doing it, and that if uh, we need any help, he'd be he'd be uh, happy to jump on as a well. You know what? He sounds he sounds like a well-spoken young individual, and yeah. any podcast would be lucky to have him aboard, so long as he had, uh, you know efficient microphone equipment <laughs> yeah so hey uh i'm open to collaborations with uh, other podcasts so maybe start one your own and we'll have you on the show or something yeah especially uh, i just want to nail that uh production level quality that we uh hope that we've been known for during our time here i don't know what we're known for I think we're known for being dicks. <laughs> uh, it's possible. Uh, okay, so that's the end of your emails. I'm correct, mm-hmm. right? right? Yep. yep, yep, yep. Okay, so I just want to share with you uh, one message. Uh, I'm pretty active, as you know, on Facebook, uh, Facebook group, facebook.com slash thoughtspeakcast. Uh, one of the guys I've been talking to on there a little bit is uh, Josh Blount. Hope I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. that right. Probably not. Out of uh, Griffin, Georgia. This is pretty cool. I didn't know we'd have any fans in the Deep South. But anyway, yeah. he says... Uh, Co-host in the Deep South. <laughs> hey, that doesn't count. <laughs> Josh writes in and says, I've been listening while at work, and I'm finally caught up. I gotta say, I really enjoyed it. I listen to podcasts constantly, and this has been a lot of fun. You two have had a good time with it, but you've shown respect for the plot you're constantly disagreeing on funny and or serious topics uh i'm gonna skip ahead a little bit you guys seem down to earth and the discussion is intelligent but entertaining i've also done some professional indie film work in my time but i've got to say animated is the way to make it happen <laughs> you just can't win here colin just everyone everyone he went on to say congrats on landing the michael grant interview and that he thought it was great uh he'd love to continue tossing ideas back and forth uh which is something we really appreciate uh just fans being vocal joining the conversation talking to us uh don't be afraid hop on we're friendly people you'll find i think (laughs) um i would also like to go ahead and point out a couple of really cool people who took the time to go to iTunes and leave us some really nice ratings and reviews on there. I am talking uh, Lord Kyler, 
who wrote a very kind-hearted review, says a great look at a classic series. Uh, other shout-outs go to Shortmanian444, says I want to listen to that podcast, five stars. <laughs> as well as Chiefs327 numbers, numbers, as awesome as a new Scholastic Book Fair catalog, five stars. Um, just, Just lots of love on iTunes, and we love you all for it. Thank you so much. Yeah, if you want to jump on there and leave us a review, we, of course, really appreciate that. And uh, we might start reading those on the air as we get them. So jump on there and uh, leave us a good review or just a review in general. We want to hear from you. Yeah, exactly. Been a lot of fun, I will say. And I will also say that if you are down for a, uh, you know, hour, hour and a half long, lighthearted discussion um, with, you know, quite a few tangents and uh, uh, focusing mainly on the the epic that is Animorphs number 25, The Extreme, then buckle in because you're going to have a very good time. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted to say uh, it's it's really nice to hear from, I've heard from a few people that I always wonder if, if these uh, episodes would be better as just a discussion, like just wrapping around the book and talking about our thoughts and just jumping right into that sort of thing um, as opposed to what we do now, which is a summary. But I've actually heard from a couple people recently that they don't remember the books and they really like the fact that we've been doing like pretty thorough summaries of each book and it helps them remember or if uh, a couple of people haven't even read the series before and are listening to get the story. So I, I was really surprised by that. Well, you know, that's one thing that I uh, kind of pride myself on is that I think we are very thorough in our coverage of these books. There are, uh, on the occasion, very minor plot points that, yes, we can't recall, <laughs> mostly because usually we're reading these things about a week before we record, and just sometimes, you know, with our busy lives, the minor details do slip our minds. But um, for the most part, I think our, our summaries are very thorough and thought out, and uh, I can't say intelligent. I, I can't call them intelligent, but I can call them entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> but just the fact that some people are actually using our podcast as like a substitute for an audiobook of the series. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just kind of oh, blows totally. My mind. I, I would love to uh, be able to one day maybe combine all of our notes um, for every book, uh, all of our summaries, everything we've written into one like kind of collection, an ebook of sorts, if you will, um, and be able to distribute that. That would be wonderful. That'd be really interesting. But enough about all that. Enough about our fans, as great as they are. Um, most of you are here probably to hear about uh, The Extreme. So let's jump right into that. Let's do it, man. And I believe it's your turn to read the back. Oh, I'm ready. Marco, the other Animorphs, and Axe, who is just never an Animorph for some reason, have managed to find out where the Yurks are planning to build their next ground-based Kendrona. That's a good thing. The location is supposed to be somewhere around the North Pole. That's a bad thing. The Animorphs and Axe know that the Yurks are a cool-blooded species, but this is a little nuts. Who wants to be anywhere near the North Pole without Arctic Morphs and wearing spandex? Even so, the kids know if the Yurks succeed with their plan, Earth is pretty much done for, and Marco, the other Animorphs and Axe, aren't quite ready to give up the fight. Wow, you know what? That's a pretty cool description, and that lets you know some stuff's going to go down in this book. Yeah, but I, I hadn't read that before. Doesn't that seem like a little wackier than normal? For the back of the book? I mean, it gets straight to the point. I mean, it, it's really like, guess what? The Animorphs have to deal with cold weather. 
<laughs> that's that's really what it's about. That's true. Because that that's the question that everyone's had since the start of the series is like, well, what's going to happen, you know, if they ever have to do it out in the pouring rain or if it's cold or whatever? Yeah, they're going to have to suffer. And this is a book where they do very much that. <laughs> this isn't a book where they suffer. This is a book where literally 50% of the time they're dying. Yeah, freezing to death. <laughs> yeah. Um, Good times, though. Let's talk yeah. about the cover. It's a lighthearted book. Um, I actually really like the color scheme of the uh, silver logo with like this kind of off greeny look to it. Oh, I really like that. Yeah, it's like the legacy logo or something. Yeah, except the um, um, the the teaser subtitle on the cover is just dumb and doesn't apply to the book. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, so many yurks, so little time. So with the back of the book, uh, the content of the book, and and this cover and stuff, do you get the feeling? Just a little bit that uh, this this being taken over by Ghost Rider and uh, Kay Applegate and Michael Grant having, I guess, a little less to do with the series, that this book feels a little bit like a soft reboot uh, of the series. In what way? I mean, because this, this is very much like a uh, just another mission, quote unquote, book, if that's what you mean. It does. It's, we'll it's, back, to, it's back to form of the, the kids going on, you know, one of their wacky sci-fi misadventures. <laughs> sure. And I'll, I'll get more into that here in a minute when we talk about it. But the, just the outside, the back of the book, it, it all feels like just a tad different overall. Like everything has just a touch of newness. I don't know. It, it's almost like they, they turn gears a little bit with the series. Well, it seems like for one thing, the model of Marco is probably a different kid by this point. And you got to remember when these things were coming out, this was, this was right after the suspicion. I mean, the Helmicron anteater book, I don't know what the hell people were thinking at this point. <laughs> they were That's probably true. starving for something like this <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a pretty good looking overall. Uh, and the Horkwidgeer Chronicles too. Yeah, uh, I don't like the the weird outer glow around Marco and the uh, polar bear, but, you know. Yeah, that's kind of dumb. And then I don't know what was with 90s kids, but we always, it seemed like kids wore uh, clothing that was like two sizes too large for them. It looks like Marco's wearing like an XL t-shirt here. <laughs> Other than that, um, I think the uh, under flap picture is pretty sweet. It's just uh, a lot of polar bears doing their polar bear thing. I mean, a... It's probably it's probably a scene from the book, yeah. It counts. Yeah, it's towards the end. Um, so that's that's all good. I actually like relevant stuff in the back. To be fair, the back of the book is a lot more relevant than usual. So, right. Well, like I said, it gets very much to the point of letting you know that this is the bad weather book. Yeah. So not with. too much to complain about with the with the cover in the back of this book, and that's that's different for the series, I think. It's extremely ordinary. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's jump right in. Uh, this book starts. I'm jumping. This this book starts similarly. Uh, similarly, oh my gosh, this book starts very similar to the uh, the rest of the series and how they do their little intros that reintroduce to a lot of elements. But this is my first. Uh, what's the word for it? This is the, this is my first point in saying that this is this feels like a little bit of a soft reboot or a, a reintroduction to the series because where we usually have you know elements that are uh, you know elements of exposition at the here in the beginning all the time 
this explains every single aspect of the series that we might not know. You get a full reintroduction for Eric the Chi. We get a full reintroduction for the Yerks and why they're there and what the fight is. We get a, yeah, a reintroduction dude, I, I to mean, the Animorphs. It's, it's, it's a definitely a recap chapter for sure, but I, I would say that I actually really enjoyed this uh, This one in two chapter well chapter one is marco trying to score a date with this girl named marion um however it's comical because he blows it by falling asleep when they're at this uh classical music concert and uh that's that's an excellent way to do a recap i mean it was it was comedic and um always always good to have a little marco comedy yeah, no, I, I I liked it too. I'm just saying that this feels like the recap of all recaps. That this is different than the last you know dozen or so we've had, which have been lighter and lighter as we've gone on. I think I think the series got more and more comfortable with itself, and that this recaps every element of the story so far. Almost, I I I know what you're trying to say, but I just didn't feel that man. I. I didn't think the recap was any more recappier than any of the other recaps just because they also had to mention Eric the Chi. Because, of course, he shows up right there in the second chapter. No, if you just go through it, um, usually they'll recap, you know, the fight with the Yerks and things like that, but they usually only have two or three recaps, whereas this, I think, had a total of five paragraphs of just recap. No, man, I remember... One of the more recent books, I don't think it was The Pretender, it might have been the one before Pretender, uh, chapter one was just a straight up all recap. And um, that was one of the more recapier recaps. This one, mm. I thought, wasn't wasn't all that different or special. I thought this was pretty hardcore. But Well, dear fans, please sound off. Read chapter one on the extreme <laughs> and let us know. Is it special in any way? Does it seem like a rebooting of the series? I mean, are we going into what? If, if we're sticking to our, our season continuity that we had uh, begun so long ago, we'd be in like season four or five by now, I think. Yeah, we'd be pretty far along. Um, anyway, but we, we can get to the beginning. That was just, that was just something I, I made sure to note it because it, it really felt different uh, <laughs> than, than recent books or even books from a while ago. I disagree, but I will fight to the death for your right to think so. <laughs> uh anyway as um as marco's you know kind of recapping his date with mary and to cassie uh in gym class because that's just the pairing of this book um they're approached by eric who of course has you know a gta style mission to give them um and business to discuss as usual he's he's got another uh he's got the dirt on another yerk plat Plat, plat, blonde, blonde, plat. <laughs> yeah, he he tells them that the Yerks are basically, and this is uh, really short and s- straight to the point. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't pat it out at all. He's he's like, hey, the Yerks are gonna take over satellites. Uh, they're gonna build this base somewhere, and they're gonna turn all the satellites and every body of water on Earth into uh, a Yerk pool, basically by by forwarding Candrona through the satellites. Yeah, it's made out to be, you know, this really, really big deal. They're they're trying to broadcast Candrona rays with uh, human satellite technology, whatever that means. I don't know quite how that'd work, but sci-fi and, technology. And this will build into my review, but I thought <laughs> this, this plot, the overall plot of this book was um, not pushed to the side, but underplayed. Oh, exactly. I, feel, I know. I feel like it was... You're, um, you're preaching to the choir, bro. 
I know, but we with this, <laughs> I might surprise you with what I actually think of this. But okay. um, we'll see. But we'll see. I'm just saying, like it, it does feel like this whole main plot is, um, you know, just another mission for the Animorphs to go on, but for a very different reason than normal. Um. Okay. All right. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um. However, yeah, this this plot involves that the uh, Yerks are building a base that's somewhere remote uh, for their satellite station, and that's all Eric really knows. Even though they learn later that there there is more info to this <laughs> for some reason there's i don't a, know we don't get it here but um we also learned that eric uh was around to hang out with beethoven who was apparently an awful person yeah that was a that was a cool little shout out i mean that's i don't know much the, about beethoven and his personal life but well you've seen amadeus haven't you uh probably yeah not that i can really recall it was much just of. apparently a kind of cruel and childish person right maybe i have heard things like that yeah i'm sure a lot of historical figures uh if we were to look back on them today by and judge them by today's standards probably not but I like, very good people. i like what he says though he says uh uh he he was you know not a great person or whatever but um my the the pemelites his masters would have wept to hear what he could oh read. yeah exactly wonderful shout out to beethoven <laughs> you beethoven just one of, third just one of this many uh, references this book nails. Um, so so next we get a transition to the group uh, at Cassie's barn discussing the mission that they're about to go on, and um, they re- they reveal the other stuff that they learned from uh, Eric and the Chi, and that is basically that they now know where Visitor Three's new feeding ground is, and uh, the plan, as far as they can all tell, is that. He's going to get picked up there to uh, go inspect the new site that the Yerks are building. So I think they're plotting on hitching a ride with him. Which is this is pretty good intel from Eric. This gets them a lot and uh, gives them a lot to go on as far as finding the space. But I thought it was a little weird that Visitor 3 is still feeding anywhere near where the Andalite bandits keep attacking. Well, again... After he's been attacked. Again, <laughs> um, they do stress that this is this is his new feeding ground and it's even further away than yeah normal. but he literally lives on the blade ship for most of the time right like for the most point part he's on the blade ship in orbit for most of the what series. i don't get is why like, haven't... why don't you just fly down to china and eat there or something no why haven't the yurks like fully infested a um like a plant uh store not even store i mean like uh like an outdoor plant facility like a huge one um where you know they can just roll out the sod for him and he can eat till his <laughs> till his little andalite hearts content. i mean maybe he enjoys like the earth views and stuff i'm just saying go to australia or, or like literally anywhere else besides you know where the andalite bandits keep attacking you at every turn i would assume that's because that's super inconvenient just because he's probably got to eat at least two meals a day I would assume. And that's probably honestly like the only free time or time to himself he ever gets. So I, I'm pretty sure he like cherishes it. So I wow, think I his, know we his feeding team spots three are, over here. <laughs> I'm just trying to defend this, this plot point a little bit here. Um, I'm sure he, he has several feeding spots that he rotates between. Sure. Sure. So uh, this is big information for them. This, this gives them, all the clues they need to, to formulate a plan for how to get to this base. Yeah, and uh, as we soon find out, they have enlisted the help of the Chi to cover for them in their daily lives while they're going to go on this potentially long-distance mission. 
Which I always love these uh, instances where either Axe morphs one of them or, or they have to do something to hide them being away on a longer mission. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit of realism to everything. Yeah, and you get a little fun little excerpt uh, at the end of what happened and what wacky things were going on while they weren't there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and uh, they, you know, morph to bird and fly to his uh, new feeding ground. And after finding the visitor, they morph a couple times <laughs> into a couple of different forms and manage to conceal themselves and stow away on the visitor's body as uh, flies, I believe. Yeah, and they're worried because they're they're basically hanging on to the fur on his underbelly. And uh, they're in the bug ship, and they think maybe the bug ship's going to go straight to the base, and it's traveling for a while, and there's nowhere to demorph. And they overhear that it's going to be like a three-hour trip, which is a three-hour tour. <laughs> it's obviously outside their uh, their morphing time range, so a little worried here until they find out. Oh, oh we're we're docking with the blade ship. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah, that's that's like the best scenario they could have hoped for in this situation. Seems and, odd. And this whole mission, the whole time, uh, Marco is, you know, playing his normal Spider-Man role and just cracking jokes and easing the tension. He even he even explains that. I mean, he, he's done it before, but he, he goes pretty literal with the whole, uh, you know, I do this to, you know, take away from the horror that we deal with on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. A uh, little, little insight into Marco there. And I think, uh, I think his jokes are... Um, different than they usually are I, um, I don't know i mean he's he's a lot more uh jokey a lot more um chatty i guess i'd say in this particular book but mm -hmm. um that might you could chalk that up that might be due to the ghostwriter just really trying to make these characters feel authentic i mean the first book or the first ghostwritten book is a marco one you gotta imagine all the fans at, at around this time were probably clamoring for these Marco books. And, and he has a they just has really a very, wanted to get it right. And he has a very clear personality. So like if you write him wrong, like people are gonna pick up on it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think Marco's a character that is is very simple to pull off, um, but if you if you overplay him or do him the wrong way, uh, it could get very annoying. And I, I think that this book actually and whether this is from guidance or or whatnot, but uh, I think this book is one of the first to really establish a trait of Marco that plays into the end of the series pretty hardcore. Uh, and oh yeah, later and later in like five books uh, plays pretty hardcore into it. Yeah, so uh, some important aspects of this book. I, I'm really trying not to spoil my review because I think it's going to surprise you. But don't uh, spoil anything. Don't even yeah, spoil the book. I, I, <laughs> I don't want to know. There's some, I think there are definitely. I, I, don't think you can say whatever you want about the beginning and the whole uh, soft reboot thing, but I think there are definitely some new and different things happening in this book, and uh, I don't think you can deny that. Yeah, speaking of new things, we get a new alien species in this book because uh, this is where the Visor mentions the Venber that are aboard, which uh, you know gets the exclamation point going above Axe's little head. Yeah, I like the. Did, did, I, did you guys hear him? Did you say Vin Vember? <laughs> I must have misheard him. Yeah. Um, so as you know, they're sitting there waiting, 
you know, taking joke after bad joke of Marco's. The team can't take it anymore, and they hatch a plan to uh, basically distract Visor 3 and his crew long enough to demorph. And the way that they do this is um, by kind of utilizing the chaos and confusion caused by uh, Axe impersonating Visor 3, which, you know, seems to be a tactic that they rely on quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but by sheer luck... And by... Oh, you already said that, didn't you? I didn't say the by sheer luck part, my friend. <laughs> Since I see you're reading my wor- notes word for word now. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I heard you stop talking, and I was trying to... I said Axe imp- ax impersonating Visitor 3's voice. Yeah, but yeah, well, no, to... totally by sheer luck. Um, the team does manage to make it out of this scrap, which is... They're in a really horrible situation. They're basically trapped on the uh, blade ship, surrounded by hork and Taxons, uh, the visitor's, you know, stomping about in the other room. He's kind of running around like, like a Monty Python sketch or like a Scooby-Doo villain, you know, <laughs> like they're running from room to room, except they, they end up kind of shoehorned into the, uh, cargo bay or loading bay area. And it's great because, uh, I, I love this in the sense that you show the kind of leader that visitor three is where people are just so desperate to do what he says like they take no initiative or try to do anything different because he'll just kill them if uh, they do something wrong. So by following him, his exact orders in the situation is the only reason the Animorphs were able to escape. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely a lot of incompetence, once again, on the villain's side. However, what I do like is the fact that it is still very much a violent, bloody battle in a struggle to survive here. Rachel gets a limb cut off. Not cut off. It's, it's Terminator 2 style broken off. Oh, exactly. Yes. And yeah, that, exactly. Like you said, Terminator 2 Frozen style. It's it's so it's gruesome, really. It's, is what it it's is. It's really gruesome. Uh, they end up on the uh remote surface of some extremely cold uh area. We we had mentioned the Arctic and they think it's Alaska. That. Yeah, but it's it, I think it hints that it's a bit colder than Alaska even. Um, it's up there. Oh, certainly, yeah. And as we know from reading the back of the book, it is, of course, the North Pole. Is it the North Pole? Yeah, it's the North Pole. Like the flat-out North Pole? Huh. I don't know if that's accurate. Because uh, I don't think there's polar bears running around. Like, if you go to the North North Pole. No, I'm sure that they said North Pole, just because when you hear North Pole, you get an automatic idea of, like, just nothing but snow. You know? I choose to nothing believe Nothing but that- ice and snow. I choose to believe that them and Polar Bear Morse are the polar bears in Superman 2's Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> if you say so, Coleman. Kind of a weird crossover, but yeah, I'd watch it, I guess. <laughs> um, but I, I love the scene right here where they, uh, you know, they're in this extremely remote, freezing cold, like really freezing, colder than you've experienced in the harsh. Uh, Minnesota winters. Oh, I don't know, I man. Think. The the blizzard of 2016 that we just had. In uh, in the last weekend of March was pretty extreme and out of nowhere, my friend. Yeah, but uh, it's it's so bad that they they are able to find like a little. Uh, it's not really a cave; it's more like an alcove. Uh, but it lets them get out of the wind a little bit, and they're in random battle morphs. This is Jake's and his tiger morph. Cassie's doing slightly better in her wolf morph. Uh, Rachel is remorphed into grizzly bear. And Mark is running around in, you know, tropical gorilla morph. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he makes a point to mention how his skin sticks to the freezing cold ice and yeah. peels away as he, you know, moves. Ugh. 
Yeah, it's it's getting again pretty gruesome, and, and they're uh, they're basically all freezing to death as the blade ship kind of soars off and regroups, like you know, Doctor Eggman, Robotnik after Sonic beats him. <laughs> really have no idea why the blade ship leaves. It's I assume that Visor Three is just furious. He's like, "Why is everybody screwing up?" Because you know he just doesn't get like Axe's whole thought speak act and like how that confuses everybody. So I'm sure he's just stomping around. I agree. It's probably because of how angry he is and, and the chaos on board. But it seems like, you know, they have nowhere to hide, nowhere to run. If the blade ship would have just turned around, it could have just picked them off. Well, uh, Visitor 3, as we know, is not always the most competent of evil villains. <laughs> very true. Anyway, um, so they're in this little alcove cave thing. And uh, they're all, you know, planning out their next steps and talking about which morph might be able to get them to survive a little better. And uh, all the while, Marco is getting a little loopy. He's trying to fall asleep. Uh, he's he's dying. He's he's freezing to death. Yep, that most definitely happens. Uh, as well as um, Tobias and Axe, who are the first ones to freeze to death, almost uh, wind up morphing fleas and hiding out in Rachel's grizzly bear fur to. Uh remain warm enough since they really don't have any adequate morphs for this kind of weather no i mean i don't know why they all didn't just go wolf they all have wolf morph right uh yeah i believe so except for axe i don't think axe does Hmm. and i don't think tobias does either now that i think about it um however yeah uh, like you said they managed to find some cover and that's when marco almost freezes to death but rachel basically just kind of beats him awake you know oh she she draws blood yeah totally um, and then this is where we get uh, the new aliens that uh, they're encountered and uh, chased by these Venber. And I'm going to read you a description of these guys on uh, page 72 here in your book, if you want to follow along. They say there were two of them, about eight feet tall, humanoid, torso, head, and limbs in the usual places. Only their heads were shaped kind of like a hammerhead shark's oblong with big dark globs on each side that must have been eyes each creature had two thick upper arms growing out of broad shoulders the upper arms split at the elbows to make two forearms big burly nasty looking beasts silver with flashes of blood red and midnight blue along their flanks along their shoulders and converging in their faces i'd seen that color scheme before they were sliding toward us on long ski-like feet they used their two two of their forearms, one right and one left, to propel themselves forward, and they glistened in the light like diamonds or crystals. They were beautiful. Well, they sound like really kind of cool aliens, and if you're looking at this from a toy marketing perspective, these are totally the Arctic Mission line of toys yeah. for the season. I pictured, I pictured tentacles, the way it describes the limbs. No, dude, it's totally got, like, uh, I imagine the arms... Really cool, like, you know, um, where your elbow would be, it would split into, like, an almost uh, uh, vertical joint, I guess, uh-huh. and then two arms would uh, t- come off of those. Oh, yeah, I can kind of picture that, like, really... And then it's got, like, you know, weird ski legs and stuff, too. And then it says they're, you know, hauling around these uh, these um, cannons, these Dracon assault cannons, which are yeah. huge, heavy artillery weapons. Uh, they just sound like cool, I, cool aliens. Yeah, and I, I like the I like the new weaponry. I mean, that's something that for some reason the books have never talked about or gone into. It's just everybody has these handheld uh, Dracon beams, but here we see something a little, little more punch to it. 
Exactly. It's it's pretty awesome. Um, Axe even says they're used for attacking hardened ground facilities from orbit. So wow. <laughs> these are heavy, pretty heavy duty, more so than the standard Dracon beams they're used to being chased around by uh, controllers with. Yeah. So they get away from these things. Uh, they don't want to mess with these. They don't want to try to fight them. Especially oh, and it's condition. worth pointing out that they, uh, they, they find them or they track them by echolocation, which is just another unique little trait. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, it's a... It's hard to tell what an alien species is doing with its clicking and things, but that's that's basically what they compare it to closely. Right. Um, but, but yeah, they, they flee and they make it away safe. Well, safe enough until they encounter a polar bear and have to run away from that. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just not ready to confront anything in their condition. It's no, they're still very much freezing to death. <laughs> but uh, anyway, they, they dig like a scoop. Uh, to put it in Andalite terms? Well, uh, yeah, a snow hole is what it's <laughs> described as in the book. Yeah, and, and Axe goes into a little story time telling him what he knows about the supposedly extinct Vinbar. Right, and uh, through... Vinbar, 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 Vinbar. Vinbar, Vinbar. Yeah. yes, the Vinbar. Uh, <laughs> you want to you wanna tell us about their backstory, my friend? Uh, so Axe goes into this background of the Vinbar and uh, what he knows, and it seems like it's half rumor and half story of, of the Andalites. And uh, he, he goes into it, but basically he says they were a primitive species with a highly unusual physiology, uh, unique. Actually, they do not seem to have required radiant energy of any kind. Obviously they're not carbon based. They were discovered back toward the dawn of Andalite space travel, not by us, by some other race, the five. Uh, they called themselves the five. No, no doubt it meant something to them. Uh, See, that's cool right there. Yeah, this is other alien race that at the dawn of Andalite space travel. That's that's really I, I wonder if the five are mentioned anywhere else throughout the series or if that was I intended to become a plot point later on. I hope so. I'd, I'd like to read more about them. But basically the five discovered the Vimbar and uh, started trapping and exporting them all around uh, because they were, they're liquid. They basically melt. So they're not, they're definitely not carbon based. They're, they're like liquid based or some kind of weird material. It's basically animal trafficking or sentient being trafficking, whatever you want to call it. That's what this is. It's using a living being for basically just a product. Yeah, for superconductors for primitive computers of that era. And and these are sentient creatures, so it's pretty messed up. Oh yeah, that that's you know, it's on par with really what we're doing uh today. Uh, a lot of countries, in fact. I won't yeah, go into any, any detail by any means. We don't need to get political, but... <laughs> yeah, well, they were hunted to extinction, um, and they're... All I'm saying is Google were... the pangolin, okay? Please, pangolin. Just, just type China into Google and... Uh... Just donate a dollar to the, the World Wildlife Federation to help the pangolin, okay? Yeah, it's it's a really messed up situation, but... Um... That that's pretty shocking. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's weird that Axe knows the story, this background of the species, and it, I mean that's a pretty ancient story. Uh, if it's Andalites, right when they were going into space travel, that's that's old. Yeah, like I said, um, maybe you know the the story about the five and stuff. Maybe that was some ambition on behalf of the uh, the ghostwriter, um, just trying to throw something out there and seeing if it stuck. Um, and perhaps maybe that's why it didn't. Who knows? Yeah. But I enjoyed it. <laughs> the next morning, after uh, demorphing and remorphing to literally just stay alive, and uh, no one really slept from the sound of it. It's just a lot of remorphing, demorphing, keeping watch, um, Axe telling 
ghost stories. <laughs> Marco telling jokes in his sleep. They get up and they're super hungry. I mean, incredibly hungry at this point, and they're they're freezing to their core. And uh, they see this polar bear again. This one they saw the other day, and and by the other day I mean literally yesterday. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they see it take out a baby seal, uh, or it takes out a seal. Mother seal, to be exact. Yeah, mother one. And they're all watching, and, and they're starting to realize that they've got to do something, uh, or they're they're not going to survive. So they all kind of look to Cassie after the seal has been left behind. And this is one of my favorite parts of this book. Oh, absolutely. I, I was going to totally agree with you, and I, in fact, even want to read Cassie's little rant here, because this is a great moment um, that I'm surprised came out of a ghost-written book where... Everyone, like you said, is is looking towards Cassie kind of for her approval, so to speak. In my mind, real quick, before you read this, uh, I just want to say, to me, this was like the old stories and morality and characterizations of the books before this one, uh, looking at someone new and, and kind of passing on the torch a little bit. Does that make sense? Kind of um, like, uh, you, this is what you think of this character. This is where you think they are. Here's something different. Well, yeah, exactly. I, I would say that all of the characters and even the reader would make an assumption right here and are making an assumption about Cassie. And this is kind of her statement to let us know that perhaps there's been some character development or at the very least she's going to, you know, stand up for herself a little bit. Um, in my mind, I'm going to go as bold as saying this is the best di- this is the best dialogue from Cassie in the book so far. Wait, in the book or the series? The series. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Um, how much of this do I want to read? Because it's literally like two pages. <laughs> where, or, or I should say, where <laughs> should I start from? Uh, well, they all look to her, and then she just starts talking, right? Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Well, okay. Uh, I looked over at Cassie. She had to be freaked by what none of us had the nerve to suggest we were suggesting. I mean, I was freaked by what we were not suggesting. But unlike Cassie, I wasn't willing to let my moral sense live while the rest of me died of starvation. Cassie, Rachel said. What? She replied, a hint of anger in her voice. What should we do? Why are you asking me? I said, we're not equipped to hunt in this environment in these morphs. We're freezing. If we don't eat soon, we'll be too weak to plan our next move, let alone finish what we came here to do, destroy the satellite station. I know this sounds weird, but I'd kind of forgotten that we had a goal. Um, Okay, he goes on a little bit. Um, But you're waiting for me to give my approval, is that it? She said. Look, I began again, if I had to be the jerk in this situation, that was fine. I was used to it. I was usually the first one to state the obvious, no matter how ugly it was. Just call me Mr. Ruthless, and we are going to see a flawless... Uh, example of that in the upcoming books. <laughs> in case you haven't noticed, there doesn't seem to be a Mickey D's around here. Okay, we're finally at it. This is Cassie's good dialogue. I noticed that, Cassie said, a little annoyed. It's obvious what we have to do, and not just to the bear's leftovers, but to any live seal we can find. What I don't understand is why you're asking me for f- permission. Do you guys think I'd put an animal's life over yours? Or mine, come to think of it? I don't know, I, I started to say. You don't know? When did you start thinking I was some kind of fanatic? We're freezing, we're starving, and I'm going to go all tree-hugging, never eat anything with a face on you? Well, I can never tell what you'll think, I whined, taken aback and feeling like I'd insulted Cassie. 
Here's a clue. Don't kill a sentient creature except in absolute self-defense. Try not to wipe out endangered species, and if you're going to raise animals for food, treat them as well as you possibly can. But when you're a wolf, a starving wolf wandering around the frozen Arctic, and you see a meal, eat it. Whoop whoop. <laughs> so, yes, it, this, this is great dialogue from Cassie, and I'm glad that, was... that she finally, you know, asserted herself. Cassie's, I mean, that, that is... Cassie's changing right before our very eyes. I mean, I, I, that was everything I needed Cassie to be for the series in one speech. She done good. Someone who cares but is rational and maybe even uh, more empathetic than the rest of the crew, but she's going to shove back if you think she's a fanatic. I mean, I, I that made me like Cassie more than anything that's happened, even book 19 in the series so far. Yes, and Cassie most closely represents my feelings on nature and wildlife and animals in general, you know? Yeah, uh, and I think this peels back the childish, um, just the the way she struggled with morality and everything. I think this is her talking like an adult, but still sticking to her guns, you know? Yeah, she's definitely the most grown-up we've seen so far. I mean, if you remember in the first book, back in book number one, she was literally the damsel in distress. That was her role in mm-hmm. that book. So she's come a long way. She has. To a love interest, in fact. <laughs> I would say more than a love interest, Mitch. I, I would say she's a strong character in the team right now. Yeah, among other things. <laughs> um so yeah where we at bro they eat they eat some seal leftovers and uh then they look over and there's two little bitty little bitty baby <laughs> seals uh looking for their mother i imagine it was pretty pretty friggin' humorous actually i mean Probably, a couple but... humans and animals trying to work together to corral these fat blubbery little dumb seals around the ice um, but terrifying to the seal and <laughs> yeah i know yeah. I, I mean the whole time i'm sure it's just you know making the sound that a seal makes that i won't make into this microphone <laughs> you're all welcome <laughs> yeah so they get a hold of these seals basically and uh one by one they morph into them just to have something that could possibly you know fit this environment right you know it's it's a good idea uh, in theory, except that, like a lot of their plans generally do, it it immediately goes bad and ends up kind of just being a time waster. <laughs> it does, if you think about it, because once they're in seal morph, um, they they go ahead and plop themselves into the water because they gotta once again get away from the Venber, which they do right in time by jumping into the water. But of course, as soon as they're in the water, they encounter some killer whales. Which I was waiting for some killer whales to show up in the series, and I thought we weren't going to see them till Atlantis, but here they are. Well, yeah, we saw one with David too. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, that's he true. turned into a killer whale. Yeah. But anyway, uh, this is in their natural habitat, and these are baby seals versus orca whales. This is not a this is not a match. This is uh, a no. You're right. This is not them. a match. What this is is a uh, an excuse to kill a chapter or two on a struggle for them to just get back out of the water. Really? <laughs> yeah, and once they do, uh, they run into an Inuit kid. Yeah, this was a, a cool little twist here. Yeah, I love this kid. I mean, he's he's probably the funniest thing in this book is the fact that uh, so they morph from Baby Seal back into their human form in front of him, and uh, he's completely like nonplussed about it. 
Oh, yeah. He mentions that his grandfather had told him about um, animal spirits at one point or another. And um, so now he, he never believed his grandfather. But after witnessing, you know, animals, but seals, in fact, turning into people, um, he's willing to... to uh, suspend his disbelief a little bit and go along with it. And, you know, to be honest with you, if I'd seen what, what he saw, I'd probably go along with it at that point, too, and just be nice in general, which is exactly what he does. He's nice, and he's funny. I would like to also applaud the Ghost Rider, who we will never know who he is, but... Yeah, we will. Will we? Their names are in the beginning of the book. Seriously? Yeah. I thought these were still just under the name of Kay K- Applegate. The author wishes to thank, his name was Jeffrey Zulk, for his help in preparing this manuscript. Huh. So kudos to you, Jeffrey Zulk. You did a fantastic job. We should try okay. and get him on the uh, podcast. We should. We can track these people down now. Oh, it could have been a pseudonym. Um, either way. I, I, Come forward, here. Jeffrey Zulk, and take credit <laughs> for your work. <laughs> either way, I'd like to thank Jeffrey real quick. Uh because this, this Inuit kid could have been a total caricature. No, yeah, exactly. That's another thing is they did not at all rely on stereotypes for this kid. He seemed just like a normal kid, just like them. Yeah, but he, he totally could have been a character of an uh, Eskimo. And his name was Derek, and he was wearing like some North Face jacket. Uh, and yeah, he, he talks about his grandfather talking about animal spirits or something. But he's like this great cross of like, actual modern culture and and inuit traditions and stuff and i think that's what makes him hilarious and awesome in the scene right he was very believable um i believe at the time he was like out you know uh hunting for pelts um and uh tracking animals and stuff in fact he even mentions his uh polar bear buddy nanook yeah and I, this is another another reason why i don't think that this book takes place at the actual north pole because i don't think uh, the north pole is a two days journey away from any livable civilization um that may be possible yeah at least walking or sledding again i want to say they don't actually mention the north pole like in the story the only north pole mention is like when they uh, it's, it's very generalized yes it's the arctic which is a fairly large circle last time i checked right um, either way right you are uh i so, know I, I, derek uh totally brings them up to speed about the uh the yerk their uh, base there that has been moving in and terrorizing the animals and burning all the pelts. Save the pelts! Yeah, and he wants to make sure that they're not a part of uh, that base and what's going on. And that they almost tell him that they are until they steer him and basically say, like, hey, they're the bad guys, we're the good guys. Yeah, that's the literal dialogue. Well, if they're considered the bad guys, then we're the good guys. And we want to go pet that... Uh, polar bear of yours <laughs> yeah weird transition here they're like hey we want to pet that polar bear and then the next scene <laughs> yeah exactly and you know what um I, we, we skipped over it a little bit but there are tons and tons and tons of 90s references uh sprinkled throughout this book when they morph the uh seal marco talks about how warm it was and it was like Baywatch. and there's a reference to uh hulk hogan they make a hulk hogan pun they say hulk frozen ha <laughs> <laughs> um just tons of 90s nostalgia are you sure it's a hulk hogan pun and not a hulk like incredible hulk pun no it's hulk hogan i'm fairly certain what's the what's the reference uh, let me read it to you. Let me find Page it. Page 127. Rachel wrapped her own big paws around him, and together we wrestled Hulk frozen to the ice. See? 
It's a wrestling. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's the pun there. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Hey, it's more clever than your classic chill or freeze or, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so uh, this this acquiring scene is pretty awesome. They basically force Rachel to battle Nanook and hold it at bay while you know Marco runs up and everybody takes turns acquiring it quick and calming it down. Yeah, this I can see. While like, Derek was, provides commentary. Yeah, this was difficult. And uh, you can imagine how crazy it would have been a real person. And I think they actually get that across, that they barely are able to pull this off. Yeah, and it was so, so worth it because they get their shiny new polar bear morphs. And they even mention how there's like, you know, there really weren't any instincts to battle here because this thing is just so powerful and has no predators that there's no fear we can we could run to the yerk base now because we're totally in control yeah and this actually like I, I got to this point and i thought there was like a whole last act ready to go and i i looked at the book and and there were only like 20 pages left and i was like wow we what is gonna happen at the end of this book i i really thought this was like the middle of the book or something but we were like racing towards the end oh yeah i i will uh I will say there's a bit of a wrap-up to be done here. A mm-hmm. quick one. They all now have polar bear morphs. They're feeling warm and fuzzy, finally. Um, and, and, and heading back to this base, they, they try to pull some trickery or, or try to do some tactics, at least, of uh, marching in single file as polar bears. So at least maybe it just looks like one polar bear approaching. Because there's nowhere to hide, and there's no like rocks to hide behind or anything, or mountains to yeah. The the base is path. pretty well protected, and the base is basically made up of uh, one smaller building and then a big warehouse like structure, maybe a couple other little small ones, but uh, there's not much to it. Yep. Um, <laughs> okay, this episode's gonna need a lot of editing. <laughs> nah, it's, it's not at all. Like a lot of editing. They get to the base, and I mean, really, not a lot happens. They they pretty much are engaged in combat right off the bat because, like you said, the Yerks are on edge. They they suspect everything is Andalite bandits, and as soon as they see the polar bears marching up, they open fire on them, and more Vember come out to fight, and it's a big bloody battle. However, hold on, there is a very big distinction here where the Vember totally ignore them. As they're walking up, it's not until a human controller sees them. Oh yes, they, they do they have to reprogram out. the Venber. That is a that is a plot point, minor yeah. plot point. Um, they do mention reprogramming the Venber to attack. However, in this ensuing fight, they they manage to hop inside a bug fighter, and that's really the turning point of this battle because they they demorph and uh, start blowing up the entire Yurk operation there. It's, yeah, it's kind but, of a, a very quick wrap up to the situation, but well, I do want to talk about cool this battle scene. real quick. This, this battle was interesting because I feel like the entire Arctic part of this book has been building up how powerful polar bears are and how they're the uh, largest carnivore on the planet. And, uh, you know, grizzly bear can't even stand up to them. And once they actually try to fight these Vimber, uh, the Vimber knock them around like dolls. These things are powerful. Uh, and it's not until they get knocked into the warehouse, which is like heated, uh, that the Vimbar, the Vimber, um, physiology can't hold up to any kind of warmth. It just starts melting and it's really graphic. I mean, they talk about after knocking out this wall, uh, one of the Vimber is cut in half and their programming is just completely taken over. And I, I would put that they were trying to get across that 
you know, this Vimber species, the last of their kind, not only had they been like combined with humans to kind of live in this uh, environment, but uh, these these Vimber are programmed and, and have no control. It's even worse than being a controller. These things have been programmed that even while they're dying, they're like clawing their way towards whatever their mission or goal or programming is. Oh, yeah. It's like less intelligence than even a taxon, probably. Yeah. And it's it's just really messed up. And, and and Marco and Cassie they have like a weird through line in this book where at the right before they get on the bug fighter, Marco and Cassie are kind of looking back at uh, this Vimbar that's just dismembered and on the ground melting, and they can't help but watch like the last of this species probably uh, like die again. Well, yes, that it, it is a very gruesome scene there. But as they're flying away in uh, the the upcoming wrapped up chapter here they do mention that there is a possibility they they saw that uh two of them two yeah. of them potentially got away so they could possibly be wandering around the arctic circle or i should say skiing <laughs> ski sloping around well, hopefully that comes back in a later book in in some form i guarantee it won't we'll never see the vember again hidden eliminus or hidden eliminus uh Valley in the Arctic <laughs> to save the Venber. The Venber Valley. The Venber Arctic Circle. <laughs> I hope we get a Chronicles book out of it. <laughs> yeah. At least. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah. so... They're, anyway, in so the, they're, they're, they're in the bug fighter, though, now, and they're blowing shit up. Yeah, they blow up the base. Mission success. Mission accomplished. And, uh, of course, you know, that blade ship, was going to come back. I mean, they, they get out of there. They try to not kill as many controllers as they can, but uh, as they're flying south, almost immediately, they're probed by the blade ship, and it comes after them. And uh, even though they've got a really big head start, uh, it's inevitable that it's going to catch up to them. So they just try to get as south as possible, and then it says, like, it's almost, it really is, this is the wrap-up part, where instead of a big last battle with Visitor 3, it's kind of like, okay, we blow up the bug ship, and uh, we morphed to... Uh, birds of prey and got away from them like it's almost that simplistic right well it was really the smartest thing they could have done in the situation because as they point out the bug fighter there's no way it could take the blade ship in a in a one-on-one fight so their their best move there was to just blow it up and cover their tracks right away yeah but i think this is a little bit of a missed opportunity because if you compare this scene to the end of um uh the oh my gosh the message book uh book three no no sorry four. yes four yeah compare this ending to the ending of uh the message book four where they're an impossible situation they're f- you know six dolphins or five dolphins uh running away from visitors huge morph and you get a scene that's like action-packed it's got some drama they have to figure out uh, a cool twist ending to be able to get away from the visitor once again. Whereas in this one, where they could have had a scene very similar to that with impossible odds, classic Animorphs, uh, they instead just kind of get away. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's uh, it's a very quick wrap-up chapter. Um, we don't even really get to see the action as they describe how they blow up the ship, and as birds, they have to spend the next couple of days flying back home. Um, as soon as they make it home safe and sound uh not much happens i mean the they figure out that the chi have been doing kind of a okay job covering for him i guess yeah better than nothing better than nothing they they cleaned out the garage and did a bunch of other stuff that marco would have never done well yeah they're doing out of characteristic things for the the 
characters but i did like picturing the animorphs like hitchhiking home and using their morphing ability just to get back to the u.s uh i i kind of want that book i mean i think that'd be really interesting (laughs) them on the road i want yeah i want to see the uh stand by me the animorphs edition (laughs) where everyone's just following the train tracks home (laughs) well if you think about that it'd be it'd be interesting because we've never seen that we've never seen them in a non-dangerous situation like with the uh with no yorks present yeah the closest we've got to that was like that first megamorphs book where it was all about the pool party darla's pool party yeah, well, we've seen them interacting with normal people. I just mean, like, literally, like, crossing the United States where there's no chance of running into Yerks or anything than just kind of, like, being a bunch of kids with morphing ability just trying to get home. I mean, that's that's really interesting to me. I would I would actually like to see that book. That's why this book series needs to come back as a TV show with over 20 seasons. <laughs> that's yeah. what the fandom demands. So, after the jokes about the Chi and how they... uh you know, filled in for them and weren't exactly the best, uh, the best clones of their personalities. Um, this book really does wrap up and come to an end. Yeah. Marco's dad offers to take Marco out for ice cream, but I really like this little ending part though, where Marco, he's taking like a really long hot shower and his dad asks him if he wants to go out for ice cream. And he's like, just goes back into the shower and turns it up even hotter. And it kind of leaves off kind of, I want to read this real quick. Uh, it's, it's almost, I would say, a little artfully ended. Ooh. You know um, you know how I love art. Yeah, you do. You do. Oh, I also, I'll point out something else here in a second. But um, So it says, he says he appreciates what he did for the basement of the garage. Obviously, the chief cleaned it out for him. Uh, and he, you know, Marco makes a quick mention of Marion, if she had called and, or anything like that. And uh, Dad says no, but hey, you want to go out and catch something to eat? stuck my wet head out of the door like what i was thinking ice cream ice cream yeah ice cream excuse me i closed the door stepped back in the shower and turned on the water hot very very hot i don't know just kind of a little different weird way to end the book i I kind of liked it (laughs) yeah um it was definitely very uh abrupt i don't know it was a nice ending i'll give you that do you want to do your review first? I'd kind of like to hear your thoughts on it. Sure. And I'd like you um, to not read my notes at the very bottom about what I like. Oh, I did. I already, already turned my notes off. Oh, great. <laughs> yep. I saw that you had done that. I was trying to stay away. Um, so, okay. So my review's going to be weird. And I feel like I've been weird this whole episode because I can't really get a handle on this book. It's it's really different. And uh, I think I'm coming to the conclusion that I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I thought I enjoyed it while I read it. But it was so different. It was such a knockback from the usual writing style that it really threw me through a loop. And I didn't know what I was going to give it review-wise. But um, now that I've gone through it with you again and and I've thought more about it, um, I think this is the best-case scenario of what we could have gotten out of a ghost-written book. I mean, I've been hearing all these horror stories, and maybe my expectations have been lowered. But I feel like this is a really fresh take on a very old story that we've already seen like this style this kind of offbeat side story the animorphs that doesn't really impact the mythology i don't feel like they've really worked that well up to this point until this book i think this characterized all the characters kind of reintroduced us to to their basic you know who they are rachel the hardcore warrior marco the the jokey uh 
you know, side character who also sees things extremely ruthless and sees the, the line between A to Z, you know, and, and follows that completely. He's, it's a characterization of Marco that I think really gets established in this book and wasn't there before. And I think it's incredibly important to the end of the series, this idea that Marco says what everybody else can't and is willing to do things that other people aren't because he sees the clear path to fixing something or, or doing something the way it needs to be done. Uh, I think we see side Cassie that hasn't had come out at all in the rest of the books. And mm-hmm. while it still pays homage to who she is and who she's been, I think it's showing her more mature, showing her completely different than we've seen her so far. And uh, the rest, we don't really get a feel on, but you, you get little scenes or little moments like uh, Jake being attacked at one point and Tobias coming to his rescue that's something we've never seen before. And I, I really liked that. Um, and, and throughout this book, I think it was just, it felt fresh. It felt new. Maybe someone who wasn't worn out from writing this series. And I think it really came through in the writing. And it was, it was really cool that, that this almost became like a, um, like the James Bond series where, uh, someone new got to do their take on the Animorphs. And while you did have a lot of generic chapters and, and some things that didn't work, like I really think the ending is wrapped up without any drama or action. Um, I think overall, this I, the only word I can give it is like refreshing. This is a really refreshing take on a series that we're 25 books in now. Um, so that I, I felt really positive about this book throughout. And I, and I mentioned earlier, my last point, I mentioned earlier that uh, the plot has kind of been pushed aside or is very simplistic or, or very low-key. I really felt like that because we have an author who really cares about who these kids are and reintroducing us to them and, and getting his take on them and that that takes prominent with them barely surviving and having to deal with all this. Um, I felt like that was the focus of the author of who these kids are again and and how they're dealing with the situation and their interactions with each other. And the plot was going through the paces, but in not annoying and not an annoying way or a badly written way, just kind of not the focus of this book. And I, I really liked that. And uh, my last comment on this ghostwriter, I don't know if we're gonna see more from him or if the next book is or the next book's definitely Kay Applegate. But um, I would just say that where he doesn't reach the highs of the kind of writing that we get from Applegate and, and Grant, you know, those they're amazing writers and they're really good for a reason. Um, I, it's just, this was a consistently good book in my mind. And like I said, a fresh take. So, uh, I'm definitely going to give this four out of five, uh, melting new alien species. Wow. Way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not expect a four from you. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. And actually, it's uh, it's, it's very much on point with um, how I initially felt coming off of the book. Uh, felt very strongly about it. Wanted to give it a four. Um, however, after really sitting and gestating on it for, for a while and examining the um, the reasons I liked it, uh, I came to the conclusion that although I, I did enjoy this book, I kind of liked it a lot better when it was called The Forgotten, because <laughs> that's exactly what this book is, my friend. It is a rehashing of The Forgotten, almost plot point for plot point. I'll get into that in just a little bit, but I want to talk about what I liked first, because like I said, overall, positive vibes on this book. First of all, it did have a lot of that classic humor 
that Animorphs has uh, come to, well, we've come to expect from the series. Um, it had a funny opening and recap, and that's always, that's a great thing to see right off the bat. It just shows you that they took that little tiny extra bit of effort and cared to get you to read that first chapter instead of skimming over it and going, eh, who cares? Uh, it was fast paced and I attribute this to once again, like our previous review of, uh, the suspicion, this is an a plot only book. And by that, I mean, there's no a plot B plot, uh, differences um this is strictly just the animorphs are put in a situation and we are stuck with them as they are reacting to it uh it all unfolds in in real time we'll call it um so it's a lot of a lot of humor and and great 90s references about like i talked about we love our 90s references here as babies of the 80s growing up in the 90s both coleman and i um we get to see another really cool original alien species the venber uh like you said, that that last battle that I kind of skipped over and, and you had elaborated on um, was a, a really cool original fight scene uh, to end one of these books on. Um, and as always, we love seeing the Chi. Any involvement with the Chi is always great. The only crime is, you know, it's just it's not enough. It's not enough Chi. Not enough chi to go around. Um, really, that's that's what I liked about it. Uh, I thought it was a great time, great read. But like I said, the more I for- thought on it, the more I could only see the similarities to The Forgotten in this book. And uh, if you have listened to our review of uh, Animorphs number 11, The Forgotten, uh, you'll know why. Because it's almost a plot-for-plot remake. Uh, let's start out with the beginning uh it all begins with a chi mission um and because of this they end up in a stolen bug fighter uh heading towards a uh destination that they can't escape from and they wind up in a uninhabitable environment that will test the limits of their survival basically yeah and all that Uh, time travel in this book uh, I I will I will give you that they uh, they don't manage to activate a Sario rip in this one no, um, but I would say traveling uh, all the way to quote unquote the North Pole is an extreme environmental situation not at all unlike the uh, the Amazon that they were trapped in before and now, uh, like that situation they need to acquire one of the native species to further their survival they encounter the indigenous uh, people of the land and receive some form of help and once again it all culminates in a tangling with the Yerks uh, with a pretty quick wrap-up slash solution to the problem. Now, I know we don't normally uh, have our back and forth during our reviews. Yeah, what the hell are you doing interrupting my (laughs) review? You get all pissed off when I raise a chuckle during yours. No, I don't. I don't mind that at all. But um, I do have to step in here because I think (laughs) the... You gotta defend my my review here? No, I I know. I I just mean you're going through these plots and uh, you're very aggressive uh, about comparing these two books and i think the overarching uh animorphs get in trouble have to fight with the yurks at the end and then wrap it up i think that could define a lot of books and we could compare and contrast those well yeah it could but that i mean it doesn't excuse the fact that every other plot point in the book is literally borrowed off the page of the no i i think that's i think that's actually uh 
I think that's actually not giving its credit. I think the forgotten really deals with the idea of them not knowing how they got there. And a big plot of that book is uh, them dealing with the aspects of the time travel and that affecting their memories and, and what's going to happen and, and revol- resolving the plot. I feel like the time travel is a, a big part of that book. And as far as the survival aspect, yeah, no, goes, I, I, I'm not trying to argue that the plots are similar. No, no, I'm no, trying no. to argue that the structures are almost exactly alike. Yeah, there's some points of similarities, but I, I really would go more depth to that. And I think these are pretty different books. Point is, my friend, uh, whether it was intended or not, and you know, it might not be the ghostwriter's fault. There might actually be somewhere in Scholastic in one of their files. There might be a formula sheet or a couple different formulas for writing these books. Um, well, they were still I, I, I wouldn't put it past them. They were still outlined by Michael Grant and Kay Applegate. Exactly. So maybe the Applegates uh, have these formulas that they use for writing the books. Um, I, I have been known to uh, record some of my favorite cliches that I'd like to bust out and try to put my own original spins on in some of my writings. So maybe they had something like that. Um, point is, my friend, that for these similarities to such a beloved book, because if you remember, I believe we both gave The Forgotten five out of five, uh, mm-hmm. and you just gave this one four out of five so my final review for uh animorphs number 25 the extreme is going to be settling on a three out of five stupid sexy vendors <laughs> I, I think that's perfectly fair and a uh, very nice simpsons reference and um, i think this might be one of the very few times that i've actually given a lower rating than you i yeah i think that so it doesn't happen very often but my i would just like to make one one more point about the comparison and just leave it at that uh going into the nitty-gritty of the plot i think comparing the survival aspect of the forgotten to this is a little unfair um because while they struggled in the jungle and it was a completely different environment it was very difficult for them uh they're dying this entire book like over and over and over again and it's it's a very a very literal dying the entire book and it's it's an environment like they've never dealt with before and i think that's the main point of this book was to focus on that and how difficult that was and how even just finding a morph in this environment was incredibly hard and and what the plot really was based around and that struggle no it's um, a, it's absolutely a a story of survival and uns, uh these extreme conditions that that no create or no sane person should ever be in. Yeah. So anyway, but I think a three is a hundred percent fair for this book. I just I got a few more things out of it than it looks like you did. Uh, not in some condescending way, but just it appealed to me in certain aspects. So yeah, that's, I, that's I, why I rated it so far. Like you said, uh, I was actually quite surprised at at how much reading into ha this book that you did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or maybe just this, what I missed. Um, I don't know. I, I tend to read these things pretty quick, and I blew through this one in a full day. So uh, maybe it was just going through it a little bit faster. I missed a little bit more of it. But um, I, the reason I give it three is because it's still a really entertaining read, and it's not one that I would say you absolutely need to include in your list uh, if you're doing the series reread. But if you want to do an extended reread of the most worthwhile books, I would probably include this one then. I just think the reason I gave it a little higher score, and I think what really appealed to me was the characterizations 
of the Animorphs and how, like I said, it's a fresh new take. And I think it has elements and lays the seeds for where these characters are going and who they're going to turn out to be. And I think this is the really first time that we get a, a kind of a summary of each character and, and really it push home who they are. And I think in a in a, a great combination of who they've been in the series so far and, and this new take on them. And I think that's, if anything in this book uh, didn't hold the candle or, or raise the standards of the book series anyway, I think this this was by far the most important aspect of this book to me and the most enjoyable. You know what I really appreciate about it, looking back on uh, the past couple of books that we've read? Um, if, if you think about the suspicion, if you think about uh, the Tobias one that we just read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you think about if you think about those, um, those books were the team was very fragmented during it all, uh, especially during the suspicion. You know, Marco and Cassie were shrunk and doing their own thing while everybody else did their own thing off screen. Um, likewise, in the Tobias book, he spends a lot of time on his own brooding and uh, or off with Rachel or whatever. But those weren't very strong teamwork books, and this is uh, this is definitely uh, a display of teamwork that we haven't seen in quite a few books Mm -hmm. that that I can really appreciate. I would agree with that. Especially like you get little moments where, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, Tobias is uh, a flea and he's hiding out on grizzly Rachel and Rachel needs to demorph. And uh, I think it's like Jake says like, well, Rachel, don't you realize you'll have to pass through human to, to remorph. And um, they're, they, they mention like, who cares? You know, we're fleas. We're not going to see anything. <laughs> and Mar- I think, I think even Marco cr- makes a crack and he's like, who cares if uh, your boyfriend or girlfriend or, or he mentions something. Yeah. He, he mentions them as a couple. And, and uh, he even says like in his mind, uh, or he's thinking that he's jealous. Oh, know. he's so jealous. Well, yeah, but he's thinking in his mind. He's like, uh, it's not like it's not like we all don't know. It's not like it's a big secret in the team that you guys are together. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's probably jealous because he uh, wants both Rachel and Tobias. Because as we all know, Michael Grant has canonized Marco's bisexuality. He has opened that can of worms, and uh, every book now we're gonna see if there's any clues. The triangle is official, people. Hashtag the triangle is official. And really, Marion, is that even a girl's name? <laughs> Can we be sure? <laughs> yeah, so uh, that is, uh, that's our review of book number 25, The Extreme. I had a good time with it. Yeah, and uh, you know, we are probably five or six books away from the half uh, halfway point of the series. Yeah, exactly. I believe we are five books away exactly. Well, I, I'm counting the megamorphs and the yeah, yeah, megvisor and whatnot. Yeah. But it's it's crazy. It's crazy that we're this far, and honestly, it feels like we should be a little further. But uh, there was that whole period of 2015 where we put out five episodes. 2000, so. 2015 was a bitch. <laughs> it was. I do, you know, honestly, with the the kid coming, 2016 could be kind of interesting too. But I'm I'm anticipating. Uh, a higher amount of productivity than <laughs> than last year overall. <laughs> uh, but we'll, we'll see. But uh, good book. I enjoyed it. We, we both had good things to say about it. Um, it's funny that we're we're getting into this ghostwritten book like it's a big turning point in the series, and we're going straight into an Applegate book next. Exactly. And not just any old Applegate book. This is one we've been waiting for since possibly uh, book, book seven. Seven. Book seven? Wow. Seven, the stranger. Um, 
I'm really excited because I, I never read this book. I never got the uh, the introduction of Krayak. I just jumped into a random later book where he was already part of the series. So I'm I'm incredibly excited for this next one. Right. And you know what? Looking back on it now, I may have read this one uh, back when I was a kid, uh, possibly maybe years after I gave up on the series after seeing the, uh, the Cassie, the suspicion one. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason, not coming back for the Marco one immediately after. This is probably when I was like entering junior high or high school and... Uh, in all honesty, probably getting way, way too into anime and DBZ and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is probably around the point where I stopped reading. Point is, I've definitely read The Attack, and uh, it's it's a very highly regarded book in the series. I, I yeah. think it's not a spoiler to say. And uh, with any luck, with any luck, cross your fingers, because maybe, just maybe, we could get a we could get a surprise co-host. I would be excited. Now, is a surprise is a surprise in that it's a brand new person, or maybe maybe someone we've seen before on the show. That's that's all part of the surprise, my friend. You're just going to have to tune in. To even our for next me, episode. co-creator of the show, Coleman, tune in next time <laughs> when we plan out. You know, the next time we record, I assume I'll turn on my mic and put on my headphones, and just that's when I'll find out who the host is. <laughs> exactly. I would love for it to go just like that and for all of our listeners as well to find out in that manner Uh, because I can't make any promises, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode and uh, uh, just just in series in general, we we love that you guys are emailing us, still reviewing us on iTunes. That that really helps out the show. Uh, You can email us at... um, thoughtspeakcast at gmail.com you can go to our website thoughtspeakcast.com uh just just everywhere you want to listen to us or email us or talk to us uh we, we have places for that you know twitter facebook uh we, we jump on reddit occasionally so just get in contact with us we really enjoy that and i think it really benefits the show and uh pushes us on to continue this series and, and really jump into every book fresh so oh don't uh, forget to uh log on to itunes and or stitcher and leave us some lovely ratings and reviews always appreciated and we will try to uh engage with the community a little bit more towards the beginning of the shows now that we're getting into some of these uh dare i say shorter more simplistic ghostwritten books i'd I don't want to. I don't want to label anything, but yeah. Well, I honestly have no idea. I mean, I think I think they'll probably bounce around. I think being some of them will uh, be... being that we're cutting down on the uh, private thought speak extra content for the time being, at least, um, you know, quote unquote, until we can figure this thing out. Uh, we're just uh, gonna maybe read more emails and stuff before the show. So give us your words, your kind words. Yeah. So, all right, everybody. We'll have a good one. Jeez, okay. okay. Quick wrap. Hard wrap. <laughs> hard wrap, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. See y'all next time. Tune in. Thank you for listening. I'm Mitchell. Let's... Goodbye. <laughs> Let's try <laughs> Nope, this is staying in, my friend. Goodbye, everybody. Good night. Good night. <laughs>